You never let us down. And Lord, I thank you that you hear us now. Lord, I pray that as we turn our attention towards your word, I pray that you would speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit through the, your words. We know that they're true. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. That last song that we just sang, my help is in the Lord. My, the Lord helps me when I am in need. As I think about that, I think that's true. He is. But, but we need to change our thinking in, in some ways because it seems like the only time we run to Him is when we are in need or we have a problem or we have struggle or we have a trial or something. It's like, it's like, okay, everything is going well and I'm doing all right. I can handle this, Lord. I'm good. I'm good. I can do this. I can do this. Oh, yeah, but now things are bit getting hard. I get a little bit closer to the Lord, a little bit closer to the Lord. Lord, I need you. I want you. I, I want you to help me. And, and really what needs to happen is, is we need to be here every day and every moment of our life. Not just in those times when we need His help. And, and He is there to help us. Don't get me wrong. But, but, but He is there always. He's always there. Not just, not just when we think we need Him, which really, if, if we were really honest with ourselves, we would recognize that that's really every day of our life. Not just when we think we need His help. It, it is all the time. Now, last week we began looking at Paul's letter to the believers in Colossae, and we saw that Paul himself has never been to Colossae. He's never been there. Um, Epaphras was the missionary that was there, and there were some others who, who had been taught by Paul, who, who knew Paul, he, he had taught them and trained them, and then they went off to be missionaries. And, and it's just very similar to the influence that North Hills has in Tijuana. You know, we, we support, Paul is praying for them and, and, and is supporting them in any way he can, but he's not there. And, and we, uh, there's many parts of the body of Christ, as we saw last week, and, and, and missionaries are a part of that. And, and uh, um, Ruth has been, in essence, North Hills boots on the ground in Mexico. And, and we need to remember that. And, and just like Paul is praying for the believers in, in Colossae, we need to pray for the believers in Tijuana and in Mexico City and in other places as they come to our minds on a daily basis. Paul says in verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. And we saw last week how that's something that we can do for one another on a daily basis. We can pray for each other. 
Those who are sitting around you, those who you may only know their face, you don't know their name, you don't know where they work, you don't know where they live, but, but you recognize them enough to be able to say, you know what, that person is part of the family of God that goes to North Hills, and that is North Hills, and I'm praying for them. I'm praying that they would, that they would make good decisions. I'm praying that, that they would live a good life, that they would have the knowledge of God's will through spiritual wisdom and understanding. We can do that for one another. Now, as it seems to be true for all people, all human beings, the people of Colossae had some misconceptions about spiritual things. There were some areas in which their young faith, which sprang from hope, again as we saw last week, um, was being led astray by teachers who were preying on their inexperience and their lack of spiritual maturity. These teachers, who knows what their uh, reasons were for, for doing what they were doing, um, but they were teaching some things that weren't right. They were not consistent with God's Word, with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. There's four things that, that Paul is going to be sort of tackling throughout the next chapters of the book of Colossians as we go through. One of those things that they were being taught in, in Colossae was that matter was evil. That, that, that things, the earth, um, you know, all of matter, things that are of material, are evil. Spiritual is good, matter is evil. They were also being taught that God did not create the world. Uh, we, our kids hear that message sometimes in school, that God did not create the world. But in this time, they believe that God didn't create it because actually the world and all of its matter is evil and we know that God didn't create evil, so He couldn't have created the earth. He couldn't have created it. They were also being taught that Jesus wasn't the only way to God. That there are many other gods, that there are other ways, there are other things that you can believe in that will somehow give you eternal life or, or get you to nirvana or whatever that religious thing is. And, and they were also being taught that Jesus wasn't the sole source of salvation. That there were other ways, that there were other things. Ruth mentioned that, that in, in Mexico, you know, there's the Virgin Guadalupe, and there's, there's other religions and other, other things that they, and, and then there's this Jesus thing, and well, we'll just add him into all of these other things to believe. You know, it, it's better to have, you know, six shots in your pistol than just three out of six, right? So maybe one of them is right, and we'll just have them all. But, but we know the truth. Um, these Colossians, we, we saw last week, are believers. They have, they have believed in the message of the Gospel. And now, as they are growing, they are being taught by some of these teachers that the only way to find God was through special and secret knowledge, which could only be given to them by these teachers. So, uh, this all being new, this, this, this Christianity, this belief in Jesus, they probably figured that there's a lot of things that they don't know, and these new things um, sounded good. They were just an addition to what they already knew. And that is why it's so important for us to be rooted, to be grounded in the faith, to know what our Bibles say and what it means. Because this, this, this is the tape measure. This is the ruler. This... This is the foundation. This is what we hold all other beliefs and all other proclamations up to to recognize whether it's true or not. God's Word, to be rooted in the truth of it. Lives, to have lives that are completely centered on Jesus and His will for our life. And, and it's, it was very important for them to be grounded. 
because they're, they're starting to, to be led down a trail that, that wasn't right. And it's important for us to be grounded because we can suffer and we do suffer from a common human problem. It's created by sin and that problem is called waywardness. It's waywardness. As human beings, we, we wander. We, we are not called sheep in the Bible for no reason. There is a reason. You know, I mean, we, I don't want to get into sheep, but, um, you know, they're dumb. They wander. They follow each other into trouble. They always think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And they do whatever they can to get there. And if one goes through a hole to get there, they all go through the hole to get there. They are wayward animals. And, and we are likened that in Scripture. Uh, the, we think the grass is greener on the other side. We think life is always more exciting outside the rules. We're, we're, we're told by our culture that there's more money to be made in life if we would just be willing to let a few requirements or rules slide a little bit. Uh, we quickly lose our stamina, our stick to itness. We give up easily. We, we hold on to something until the pressure gets too tough and then we sort of just, just let it go and say, well, it's not worth it. I'm, I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm not going to take this, this verbal abuse from people that say what I believe is wrong. I'm, I'm just not going to do it. Well, as I think about my ancestors, my, my great-grandparents that came over here on a, on a boat from Sweden and, and landed in Chicago in in. Swedeville, I don't know what it was called, right? But there was a, an area in Chicago where all of the Swedes hung out. And, and my, my great-grandpa had trouble with his health, and a doctor told him that he mo- if he'd moved to a drier climate, that it would be, he could probably live longer. Maybe add a few years to his life, they said. So he had cousins out here in Albin. That wasn't Albin at the time yet. Uh, the train hadn't come through. But... Um, It was a long time ago. (laughs) He came out. He looked at it. He said, yeah, this is where I'm going to have my family live. He sends word, probably Telegram or Pony Express, I don't know, letter to his wife in Chicago that says, we're going to stay here, move out here. So she gets off the train with her two kids in Pine Bluff, standing at the the train depot. The train pulls away. And and what does she see? She sees prairie and dirt and dust. And and I'm sure, I think I read this somewhere, she thought, what in the world has Peter gotten me into? Life was hard back then. I mean, they they had to they had to work hard. They had to go through a lot of a lot of pain and agony just just to survive, just to live. And yet they they not only did that, but they maintained their faith in Jesus Christ all throughout that for their entire life. And it was passed on from generation to generation to generation in my family. All because there were some earlier on, two generations before, who said, you know what, this is the truth. I don't care if sometimes it feels boring or if it feels rote, it's right, and this is what we do and this is what we believe. In the story. And the reason that that's true and the reason that we need to have that in our own life is because Paul says in the the verses that we're going to look at today, Paul says that Jesus is supreme. Now, I didn't use supreme as a a sermon title this morning. I used all. Because the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of supreme is a pizza. Right? What is a supreme pizza? It's a pizza that what? Has all of the ingredients on it. But, 
But supreme is so much more than a pizza. The principal of a school is supreme ruler of all that goes on in his or her building. The supreme ruler of a country has power and position over all of the people in his or her nation. Supreme, according to Webster, is of authority or an office or someone holding it that is superior to all others. And and Paul is here to tell us this morning that when it comes to everything, Jesus is supreme to all of it. Period. Let's look at that in the book of Colossians, chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were, were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness and dwell in Him. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Would you look at all the alls in that passage? And if you're one who who circles things in your Bible, take your pen and go through those and circle every all. And then there's one everything thrown in for just measure, good measure. Circle that everything as well. Because you see, number one this morning, Paul is telling us that Jesus is all supreme. He is all supreme. He is the mirror image of God the Father. In fact, they are both one and the same. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We see that here as well as in other places in the New Testament. Jesus is all supreme in creation. Verses 15 through 17. He is firstborn of all... There is nothing that's been created that he, He wasn't before. He has always been, and He always will be. There there isn't anything in creation that existed before Jesus. By Him, it says, all things were created. Things in heaven, things on earth, the air, the, the wind, the sky, the dirt, the plants, the animals, human beings that God breathed life into their lungs, all of the galaxies, all created by Jesus Christ. Visible and invisible, Paul says. All things that we can see and things that we can't see. There are things in this room that we can't see. There are neutrons and protons and all of sorts of other little small things that make life work. Jesus created them all. There are things that we can see. Yeah, man, man would like to say, oh yeah, it sort of evolved. It just became this and it became that. No, it was intentional. And it was Jesus all created by Him. Heaven and all the angels that reside there and elsewhere, all created by Jesus. Thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, Paul says, it's all Jesus. Men and women that have been given authority uh, over people, granted by Jesus. Thrones and powers, all granted by Jesus, Paul says. All. All things were created by Him, and this is important as well, and for Him. All things were created by Him and for Him. It's pretty clear, isn't it? There there isn't anything Jesus didn't create. And it was all created for Him. God does whatever He wants. For whatever He wants. And we, we in our culture, we get this sense that that there's things that, that are about us, that are for us. 
I mean, there, there are football players that are going to play today that think, the foot, that, that think the Super Bowl was invented just for them. When in reality, there, there are believing Christian football players who, because of the NFL, have a, a, a place where they can stand and proclaim the good news of the gospel that others may not. I mean, really, even, even something like the NFL, like an NFL football game, it's for Jesus. And if they're playing it for His glory and not their own, life is a whole different ballgame. And it's true for each one of us, even in the simple lives that we live. Is, so is there anything that exists that's not been created by Jesus? No. Is there anything that exists that hasn't been created for Him? No. Think about that. It's all for Him. It's for His glory. It's for His use. It's for His mission. Everything, everything that we do, everything that we think needs to be centered on that truth that it is all about Jesus. Look at verse 17. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. I mean, that's pretty supreme, isn't it? Nothing. And I mean, nothing is left out. Jesus is supreme over all. Jesus is supreme in creation and Jesus is supreme in the church. Verse 18, He is, he is the head. He is the beginning and, and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything He might have the supremacy. You see, um, even Jesus was the first one resurrected unto eternal life. Up, up until that point, we've talked about this before, nobody had been resurrected unto eternal life because Christ had not given His life in order for that to happen yet. But Jesus was the first one. The first one. You see, He wins every race. No one can beat Jesus. He is supreme over all. In your life and in mine, Jesus is greater he was first. Think of something in creation, right? Yep, Jesus was before that. He was before that. Before that. And I'm so glad that it's Jesus because left to my own wisdom and my own knowledge and my own efforts, it would be a disaster. I mean, we need to realize that. When we're over here and thinking things are all good and going great and we sort of don't have time for Jesus we need to remember that we're going to mess it up. And that we need to, even in those times, stay focused on Him. Because we are really led astray easily. We are people that find all kinds of reasons why there's something that we should add to this salvation thing. I mean, really just, Jesus said, believe in me. Paul said, um, believe, uh, Paul said, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and what? And you will be saved. But we start thinking about that and then we think, oh, well, there's got to be other things, right? I mean, I've got to go, gotta go to church a certain number of days a week. or I mean, there's things that we want to add into that because we want to somehow justify ourselves. We want to take credit for some of that. But, but no, Jesus is all. We want to do those good things. Get those marks. Get those gold stars. We want to do those things that Paul says earlier in the letter. You know, those things that we want to do that are worthy of the Lord. We want to do those things in order to be saved, not because we're already saved. Because we want to please our Heavenly Father. We want to do things that, that are good. 
But if we do that, it will always fall short. It's no wonder we doubt our salvation sometimes because we base it on other things than Jesus Christ. And we can't do that. He is not... And not only is He over all things and holds all things together, but He is also this. He is all-sufficient. And I think this is sometimes where, where we kind of fall off the edge. We think, well, well... Yeah, Jesus' death and resurrection, I put my faith and trust in that. But that's just, again, that, that maybe that's not enough. Maybe there's some other things that I need to add to that. But Paul says no. Uh, verse 19, Jesus is sufficient in His person. See, God with us. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Jesus Christ. He was and is completely 100% God. Jesus Christ. A little boy looked into the sky and he asked his mother, is God up there? When she assured him that he was, the youngster replied, wouldn't it be nice if he would put his head out and let us see him once in a while? But you see, what that little boy doesn't remember is the fact that he did. He did. Because we read... And they will call Him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He has poked His head out and come for a visit and did some amazing work while He was here. Jesus lacks nothing. He is everything. He is sufficient. We've seen evidence of it in nature, how He has control over that, how He has control over life, spiritual powers. He has the authority over all of those things. Jesus is sufficient. There isn't anything that He can't do. Nothing. Nothing is impossible with God. And Jesus had all God's fullness in Him. And due to that fact, He is also sufficient in His work. In His work, which is God for us. You see, there, there's God with us and then there's God for us. Now, several years ago, a, a group of Christian missionaries met in Delhi, India with representatives of other religions to discuss their beliefs. And in the course of their talks, a member of a major non-Christian religion said to, the one, said to one of the missionaries, tell me one thing your religion can offer the Indians that mine can't. The missionary thought for a moment and he replied, forgiveness, forgiveness. Unlike the followers of all other world religions, those who put their hope in Christ have full assurance that their sins are forgiven. British Bible teacher and lecturer David Possum says, I have talked to the most devout Muslims who pray five times a day, have journeyed to Mecca, have fasted during Ramadan, and are more devout than many Christians. But when I ask, do you know if your sins are forgiven? They've always said, we don't. We just have to hope for the best. Forgiveness through Him, through Jesus, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Forgiveness rests in the redemption Jesus secured through His death on the cross. But Christ is not merely the founder of a major world religion. He is the image of the invisible God by whom all things were created. God did amazing work, didn't He? He does amazing work for us on our behalf. Romans 8, 30 and 31 says, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? In response to the fact that God works things for good, Paul says here, that when He calls us to Himself, that He does the work of justification, that He does the work of glorification. And when He is doing that, who can be against us? See, God is working for us. Now, this is not in the sense, which sometimes we think, that, that God is our hired man. That He works for us doing whatever we want Him to do. That's not the way that God works for us. That's, that's not how it is. But out of His incredible mercy and grace, He not only sacrificed Himself for you and for me, but on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, on a minute-to-minute basis, Jesus is working for us on our behalf As you and I face all kinds of experiences, good and bad, He is there every step of the way. Opposition and trials and celebrations and good things, He is working on our behalf. And it is all sufficient. It is all sufficient. I mean, it's just incredible to me that God that the God of the universe, all-powerful, almighty, existing in all time, in all places, creator of all things, visible and invisible, cares about me. He cares for me and for you. And He did what He had to do in order to rescue us, in order to save us. That's why Ruth gave her life to full-time missionary work. God called her and Dick to do what they did, to what they said yes to. Was it dangerous? Yeah. Was it scary? You bet. I've never been in Tijuana. I've been in Mexico City. There are scary places there. She said some people, she would tell them that she was going to stay by herself, and they would say, well, you're not going to go out at night, right? Well, there were times Ruth was out at night driving around Tijuana with a family in the back seat of the car under a blanket to help them get to a safe place. And, and of all the years that, that um, the Deborah house has been operating, only one time has there been a compromise of a family where somebody found out that they were there in the safe house because of, of a child that said too many things to somebody that she knew. All of the rest of the time, God has protected that place. God has. And who knows why He allowed that to happen. Reasons we probably don't know yet. Would would we have understood when her husband Dick died if she would have come home and done something different? Absolutely. Lots of grief. Lots of pain. Yes, you should, you should come home. But Ruth was pleased to do what her supreme creator wanted her to do. Not what she wanted to do. Not what was easy. Not what was comfortable. Not what was safe. But what her all-supreme creator said he wanted her to do. 
And that's where we all need to be. That's why I'm a pastor. It's, it's an obedient response to God's call on my life. It hasn't been easy. There have been mornings where I haven't been jumping up out of bed going, Yay, I'm a pastor today! Right? But I would bet that each one of us have been in that place before in life. Yay, I'm a janitor today. Yay, I work at the prison today. Yay, I'm a doctor today. But you know what? Every one of us in every place we are have a ministry to do. As Jesus is our all. He's affirmed my call time and time again. And you may be saying, but Pastor Dave, I'm not gifted in the area of being a missionary. I just don't have those gifts. People have told me, don't be a missionary. Okay? Maybe you can't communicate. Maybe, maybe there are things that... And you may be right. I don't know what God wants. I, I, I don't think God wants all of us to be full-time missionaries. But you know what? I believe there are people in this room that God wants to be full-time missionaries. I talked to somebody at first service who said God's been, the last couple messages that I've heard, um, God just continues to poke me and it's like it's in the direction of full-time ministry. This person is about ready to retire. There are people in this room who if you would seriously surrender your your life and, and, and your goals to Him, you just might find that what you're doing now is not what He wants you to do. And maybe it's to be a full-time missionary. However, I want to make two final statements before we celebrate communion. There are, first of all, I already said it, there are some in this room who God has called a full-time missionary service. And second, He's put the call on all of us to be ministers, to be proclaimers of the good news. It doesn't matter where you are in life right now. In the United States of America, in rural Wyoming or Nebraska, everything we do in life and on a daily basis can tend to be just about me. Paul's words this morning, uh, I I believe God wants to use those in our lives to to pry us out of that thinking of just about me, putting our eyes back on Jesus, who is our all, all supreme, all creator. We need to be cautious that everything we do in our lives isn't simply about us. Paul says this in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. We can do that with Him as our all. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this day. I thank You for uh, what You are doing through the Deborah House. Lord, I thank You for uh, what, what You are doing through missionaries all over the world. Lord, I, I thank You what You are doing with the what seems on the grand scale to be the small amounts of financial support that we send worldwide to missionaries to help meet their needs, to help to train them, to prepare them to be your hands and feet. I pray that you would take that as I know you are. and Lord, as we see that the gospel will bear fruit, and and I believe that in every one of our lives too, as we bear witness to and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to those around us. God, you will take that and empower that and change lives. Help us, Lord, to live life with you as our supreme authority and our all. In Jesus' name, amen.
Paul says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And, and even at the one point in history where he did what in one sense was the hardest thing for God to do, not spare his own son, God was free and doing what pleased him what he wanted to do. Paul says that the self-sacrifice of Jesus in death was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God in Ephesians 5.2. The greatest sin and the greatest death and the hardest act of God was pleasing to the Father. And on his way to Calvary, Jesus himself had legions at his disposal. Legions. No one takes my life from me, Jesus said. I lay it down of my own accord. Of his own good pleasure, for the joy that is set before him. At the one point in the history of the universe where it looked like Jesus was trapped, he was totally in charge doing precisely what he pleased to do dying to justify the ungodly like you and me. So let us stand in awe and wonder and let us tremble that not only our praises of God's sovereignty but also our salvation through the death of Christ for us hang on this. That our God in heaven He does whatever He pleases. And what He pleased to do was to sacrifice His Son for us. That's what we celebrate here this morning. The bread representing His broken body. He gave to the disciples and they partook in the cup which represents His bloodshed. And He was not over supreme overall, but He shed all of His blood for us. So let's remember that. Let's worship Him. Let's, let's remember the sacrifice and celebrate that as we partake of communion this morning. The bread will be passed. The cup will be passed. Take one from each. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you, you haven't surrendered your, your life to Jesus Christ and you're just checking it out, just let it pass on by. That's okay. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for how you are so patient with us wayward people. How you have forgiven us and how you paid the price for us. And Lord, this morning as we partake of this bread and this cup and we remember your sacrifice, we thank you and we celebrate and we give all the glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If I could have the servers come up.